0: Hi I'm Josh and welcome to the Wild Nature Photography Podcast, the podcast that talks the art and craft of nature photography. It is the 20th of August 2022 and this is podcast number 48. Perhaps I should be introducing this as the very occasional podcast at the moment. It seems that I'm really struggling to find time even when I seem to have a bit of time on my hands to actually sit down and do these podcasts. I'm going to try and do a little bit better with that I've often said that, but we'll just see what I can do. It takes some time to obviously put these together, and I've just had a lot on. I'm actually still currently in Sweden at the moment, where I've been for the last few weeks. I will be heading to Iceland in a few days' time to start a new Greenland trip, which will be an expedition that goes from uh, from the north of Iceland, sailing across to Greenland, and then through the Scorsbyson Fjord system. I'll be then back in Iceland for a few days before my southeast coast, Greenland trip and then another Greenland trip to Skorsby Sund before I head to Helsinki. So I've just been enjoying some time here in the meantime in Sweden with uh, meeting my new relatives who I had not met before. That was super cool. Totally unexpected being able to do that. Really, really enjoyed that. The weather here in Sweden has been absolutely amazing. That has helped, of course, having sunshine and 28, 29, even 30 degrees. It's been quite warm. So, In this episode, what I want to do is do a little bit of a recap and go forward a little bit talking about the part three of shooting in the cold weather and then being prepared for photographing in cold weather and things that I have learned photographing in cold weather over the years. I realized after the last podcast that I actually forgot to talk about the face. I talked about head, uh, feet, and hands, but I didn't actually talk about the face, so I want to talk about that a little bit. Just before I get to that, though, Uh, I want to just wrap up my Polar Bears of Svalbard expedition that was in July this year. So that wrapped up a little over a month ago now. There was a full trip report up on my blog as well. It was quite the eventful trip, not just because we had fantastic polar bear encounter, in fact, one of the best I've ever had. But unfortunately, we had a couple of participants who ended up not being able to make the trip as a result of the SNAP SAS pilot strike that stranded them in Oslo. That was most unfortunate. Uh, so that meant we were a couple of people down on the trip. And then a couple of days into the trip, our chief engineer actually began to develop acute appendicitis. So we need to actually call in the helicopter and evacuate him where he had surgery later on, later that. I think it was the evening perhaps, and was then recovering the following day. So that's part of the reason I always recommend you've got to have evacuation insurance on these sort of expeditions. You just never know when that sort of thing can happen, when things go wrong, and all of a sudden you need to call a helicopter and and get someone off the ship. But thankfully he was all okay. It meant that we had a little bit of a detour on our expedition. You can read about that on my blog I wrote quite extensively in the trip report about how that went and what happened. And I also wrote quite a bit about the encounter with the large male polar bear we had up on the pack ice that had just killed a bearded seal just probably a few moments before we got there. We had such a fantastic session. In fact, we had multiple sessions with this bear, both from the boat and from Zodiac. And we were able to get really incredible images of this bear feeding on the bearded seal. It's not something that happens very often it certainly doesn't happen every expedition but when it does happen it really is quite an amazing experience Uh, just to actually see it let alone being able to photograph it is a very very special thing so everyone who was on that trip really enjoyed it i've seen some of the photographs that were taken uh, as a result of that they are incredible i have had a quick look through my own i've several that i'm really really happy with I'm actually not going to get a chance to process them and put them up on my website before I get back to Australia in mid-October. I'll actually be going, once I finish in Greenland, I'm actually going over to Finland for my Finland trip. So that means that I yeah won't get home till mid-October. I'll only be home for a couple of weeks before I head to South America for my Antarctic Emperor Penguins expedition. So it's been a very, very busy year this year after COVID for me. It's been pretty much non-stop. And it's going to be that way until the end of the year. And then I'll be kicking off very, very early in January again. So there's a lot going on. There's a lot to talk about. Um, just before I get to the cold weather, um, the part three of the cold shooting in cold weather, I do just want to touch on the new firmware that's currently out for the Canon EOS R3. They're, this is firmware that incorporates a couple of very, very important um, features, one of which is the ability to shoot at 195 frames per second up to 50 frames uh, in the R3. Now, this might sound like an incredible feature, and I have tested it, um, and I have, to be honest with you, I don't know that it's as useful as Canon is making out, unfortunately. Being able to capture the decisive moment at 195 frames a second is, of course, an incredible opportunity, but actually pushing the shutter button and in that 0.26 of a second being able to get that 195 frames at the right time is very, very difficult Uh, As I wrote about on my blog, I think it would be far preferable if we could have a pre-record feature like the Red Epic cameras have had for many, many years now and that I think even the Olympus high-end cameras actually have too. So I'm hoping that we will see that in the future because that would certainly solve the problem. If you're a nature photographer like me and you've been waiting for that decisive moment to photograph a bird that's about to take off uh, or a bird that's about to come into land or some sort of action that's about to happen, you know how frustrating it can be when you're sitting waiting and then all of a sudden it happens and you miss it because you weren't quick enough to press the shutter. Well, a pre-record feature would really fix that and solve that problem. So I am really hopeful that we're going to see that in the future. As it stands, now that I've used the R3s up in Svalbard, uh, both in summer and winter, these cameras remain without doubt the best cameras that I have ever used. There's nothing I have ever tried that has autofocus even close to an R3 for wildlife. It's just completely in a class of its own. And the quality of the files that are coming out of this camera are just truly superb. So I'm very, very happy with that camera. I'm looking forward to future firmware updates for it. And we'll see what Canon can deliver in, in, in that regard. So moving on to the topic of the, today, which is shooting in cold weather Part 3. Now, this, this particular part is going to be all about uh, jackets and pants. But just before I get to that, I want to just touch on and talk a little bit about the face what i'm using to protect my face when i'm working in really really extreme cold and i'm using a product by a company called uh cold avenger now they make a two-part solution for protecting the face which comprises of a very soft uh fleece lined balaclava which covers your head right down to the lower neck uh, and just gets pulled on over the top of your head and then they have a second part which is velcroed around the nose and mouth area And unlike most sort of balaclavas, it has a um, extended plastic section that sits off your nose and mouth and allows warm air to be trapped uh, as you breathe out, but doesn't end up wet against your face like almost every other balaclava. This is a product I like very, very much. I've been using for many years now. Um, I will put a link to it in the show notes so you can check them out. They're not expensive. Uh, There's no affiliate link or anything like that. I don't make anything on this product if you go and buy one. I just recommend it because it works in the cold uh, and it works extremely well. I used it in Ellesmere Island in March of this year in temperatures between minus 35 and minus 55 for weeks at a time. It was superb, it was fantastic, it kept my face warm. Uh, it allowed me to be able to work in those temperatures without having to worry about frostbite on my nose or around my face. So I think it's a wonderful product. I have also used it in Svalbard on snowmobile expeditions many, many times. Uh, It's just a very effective product. It does a wonderful job, and it's very, very much recommended. Of course, there are other alternatives out there. Uh, There are all sorts of different balaclavas. There are ones that have holes in the mouth section so that they don't get quite as wet. I have tried these. I find all of them end up damp. Uh, no matter how good the ventilation might be. The only one that I have tried that doesn't end up damp is this product by Cold Avenger, Uh, because it has quite the raised section uh, that sits over the mouth and nose and just keeps uh, the material away from your face so that you can breathe in and out without it being wet. Uh, It also means that it's capturing some of the warm air in that Uh, bubble area if you like or plastic section that means you're not breathing in a completely frigid cold air all the time so i think it's an excellent product if you're shooting in the cold i encourage you to check it out Uh, i think it is the best i've come across and certainly the best i've tested and used to date so recommended and as i said i'll put a link to cold avenger in the show notes so you can have a look at that so moving on to uh, jackets and pants now I think, I guess the first thing is a bit of a recap on this is that it's very important when photographing in the cold that, to use a layered clothing system. So as I talked about in, the, in part one of this series, I really like to, to shoot with a base layer of merino wool on my legs and on my body that I can then layer over the top of. So that's always step one for me is uh, merino wool thermals and they come in a number of different weights depending on the sort of temperatures that you're going to be shooting in and then I like to layer on top of that so you can buy a number of different types of thermal pants I find wool is again the best product for me personally I've tried a number of different things over the years so on top of my base layer I like to use a thicker layer of wool on my legs and on my arms and then go with warm jackets and pants then I depending on how cold it is uh, in the environment in which you're shooting, you're going to need different products uh, for different sort of temperatures. I think we should talk a minute about just the extreme cold. So working in temperatures, let's say, below minus 10 Celsius. I like to use uh, a product from Raven, the Swedish company, uh, the Arctic bib pants that they make. And again, I'll try and find a link to put in the show notes to these. They are absolutely fantastic. They are made of the G1000 material that Raven are very well known for. It's an extremely robust, tough fabric, uh, and it's very good for kneeling down. In fact, the pants actually have knee pads in them, so they're very, very good to use when you're kneeling down in the snow on rocks because they're comfortable. They're articulated in the knee, meaning that the material behind the knee is softer, uh, and it's cut a little bit wider, so it makes it very, very easy to bend down in them. They're a bib pant as well, which means that if you're bending over at the waist, you're not getting an air gap between your waist and your jacket. So uh, that's my preference when I'm shooting in the cold. I like bib pants. It enables me to make sure that I have a layered area over my lower back, uh, which is a particular part of the body for me that is quite subject to the cold along with my feet. So for me, that's a very, very important aspect. The other thing to say about these Fuel Raven pants is that they have a very, very large cargo pockets on the front of the thighs, which means there's plenty of space to put lenses, uh, lens shades, uh, anything you might need to store there. You've certainly got the space to store it. It also has hand-warming pockets, and it has a pocket, large pocket for a knife or, or a multi-tool of some sort. So very, very well-designed pants. They fit over the top of very, very big boots, like the um, Iger sport boots that I like to use in the winter uh, by Baffin. Uh, I can actually wear these pants over the top of those. So for me, these are really the best I have tried in the, in the field and I've tried a number of different products over the years working in working in the cold. The problem with many of the options that are on the market in my experience is they're never perfect in every area. They just they don't have enough pockets or they've got no knee pads in them or I can't get them over the top of my boots or there's always been an issue with them. But with these particular Fuel Raven Polar bibs, I find that they really tick all the boxes for me. And again, I used them in Ellesmere this winter uh, in very, very cold temperatures, and they were superb. Um, the, the performance of them, I think, is, is as good as it can be. Um, they're extremely durable. They aren't cheap. Like all of Fuel Raven's products, they're very expensive, but I think you get what you pay for with these sort of products. And if you're going to be going into the field and you're going to be shooting in very, very cold weather, I think it's very important to go and be prepared, go with the right products, spend a bit of extra money and buy the right product the first time around rather than having to buy an inferior product because it's a bit cheaper and then having to go back and buy the better product anyway. That's usually the way I've approached pretty much everything I do in, in photography is to buy the best that I can afford. In this case, it's the Raven Polar Bibs. And that can be quite hard to get and source. I'll just add that in. If you're looking for them, you might have to be a little bit patient to try and find a store that actually has them in stock and even more so to have your size. Now, which actually brings me to size. I should talk about that for a moment. These are cut quite generously, uh, meaning that they're designed to be worn over the top of thermal pants and an additional mid-layer. And in fact, when I was working with them in Ellersmere, I was actually working with them with uh, woolen, Uh, thermal pants the extra layer of woolen thermals and then on top of that i also had down pants before i put the fuel ravens on so quite a lot of uh, protection underneath them so there's certainly space to layer clothing underneath these pants now if i'm photographing in um, in the cold in areas that i am also working in wet meaning that temperature's hovering around zero degrees. The Fuel Raven pants are not the sort of thing I'd be reaching for, and I would instead be reaching for more of a sort of a waterproof type bib pant. And again, I've tried a number of these over the years, uh, including some very expensive options from companies like Arcteryx. And what I've discovered is that almost all of the bibs on the market that are advertised as being waterproof are actually made from products like Gore-Tex, and they're more water-resistant than waterproof. And if you're sitting on a Zodiac, particularly a wet Zodiac or a wet rubber boat, quite often what will happen is that the water will seep through the Gore-Tex or waterproof material, water-resistant material, rather, and you'll end up with a wet butt. And that's extremely uncomfortable. So I, after much <laughs> trial and error over the years, I found that the best option Uh, that I'm currently using is by the company Sail Racing. They make a pair of uh, waterproof bib pants. I can't remember what they call them, the black carbon edition or the orca edition, but if you jump onto their website and have a look, I'm sure you'll find them. They are made specifically for racing on yachts, They are extremely comfortable to wear in the field. The only criticism I have of these, two criticisms I have of these bib pants actually are that one, they're quite expensive at around about a $1,000 US a pair. Uh, And the second one is I find them quite uh, tightly cut in the calf area. So I find them quite difficult to get over my boots. And they do not have a side zipper to make life easier in that area. So these are not the perfect bib pants. In fact, I think the perfect bib pant for working on Zodiacs doesn't really exist. Uh, I certainly, at least I haven't found it. Uh, In terms of being waterproof, really the only thing that's truly waterproof is plastic or rubber. Uh, And if you look at professional fisherman clothing that they are using out on trawlers, where they're fishing for many, many hours at a time, all of that clothing is plastic or rubber. Uh, the only problem with using this sort of fishing clothing is that you sweat in it, so it doesn't breathe at all. So if you're sitting around in a zodiac, that's fine. Guaranteed you're going to stay dry in that sort of fishing clothing, but it's not the best if you have to move around a little bit because you can very quickly start to sweat in it. So it's very much, again, about picking the right sort of material, whether it's Gore-Tex or whether it's fuel Ravens G1000 or Event or one of the other materials, whatever it might be, that is suitable to the sort of environment you're going into and the temperature that you're going to be working in and then layering underneath that appropriately to make sure that you can stay warm. It's very often difficult to remove layers on the legs because you often have to take off your entire outer layer just to get to the layers underneath. So a little bit more care and attention, I think, needs to be paid to to the legs than perhaps to the upper layers where it's easier to remove a jacket and get to mid-layers underneath. So let's talk about jackets a little bit for a moment. Um, and what I like to do with jackets. So, again, if I'm working in the extreme cold, uh, I like to use Fjord Raven's Polar One Parker. This is their top of the range uh, Paula One Parker. It's an 850 downfilled uh, jacket made of, again, the G1000 material with lots of generous pockets uh, around it and it also has a very generous storm hood with a ruff, uh with fur lined ruff. so it's extremely good in the cold uh, my only criticism of this jacket well, two criticisms of it one again it's quite expensive uh, around about 1800 euros to buy if you can find it it's a very difficult jacket to find uh, and the second criticism I have of it is it's actually quite heavy as well so it's difficult to pack Uh, and quite um, difficult to travel with internationally. But it is extremely warm, and I did use it in uh, Ellesmere Island again this winter in temperatures as low as minus 55, and it did keep me warm, so it's a fantastic jacket. Now, there are a number of others on the market from Canada Goose, from Shackleton, and there are many, many other brands you can choose from as well. The only thing I would really say about all of the options on the market in my experience has been... From a photographer's perspective, it's best to avoid mountaineering jackets. That is the sort of very lightweight jackets that are made for alpine climbers who are going to the summit of things like Everest. And the reason I say it's good to avoid them is they're extremely light, which is good. They're very, very warm, which is also very good. But they're always made of very, very lightweight materials in the outer areas, which means they're very easily ripped and torn. So if you're lying down a lot in, uh, and photographing the subjects, as I always am, particularly with wildlife, these sort of jackets are very easily damaged. So that's just something to be aware of. If you're choosing summit suits or any of these sort of uh, al- high alpine type uh, jackets, just be aware that usually the material on the outer side of them is quite a lightweight material and very easily damaged. So I prefer myself to go with weight materials like you see in Canada Goose, like you see in the even G1000, that products that can withstand... Uh, the abuse that comes with lying on the ground all the time, you know, when you're lying on in snow and rocks and it's very easy to tear jackets, uh, particularly if you're lying in penguin colonies where there are lots of sharp rocks as well, a uh, good idea to have something that's a bit more robust. So that's sort of where I'm at with jackets and pants having tried many different solutions over the years now i own a lot of mid-layer jackets as well and again there are so many on the market it's kind of impossible to discuss them all but there's a lot to choose from i think it's a case really of finding a mid-layer material that you're comfortable with whether it's down whether it's some sort of synthetic material or whether it's like something like what i prefer which is just wool so in my case often my mid-layer is a big woolen jumper rather than some sort of technical mid-layer jacket that might be used by alpine climbers simply because I just find it works better in terms of trapping heat and breathing for me than many of the synthetic materials do. Again, it's personal preference, comes down to what you prefer. There really isn't a right or wrong solution. If you've layered your clothing correctly for the environment you're going into, you're going to be able to stay warm and dry. You'll be able to take a layer off if you get too warm and you'll have enough layers if you're to avoid getting cold. But keep in mind, the, the outer layers of clothing for photographers, particularly nature and wildlife photographers, have very, very different requirements to alpine climbing. And many of the outdoor brands are made specifically for uh, outdoor outdoor climbing, uh, alpine climbing, and for um, activities that involve a lot of physical exercise. Often that's not the case in photography and what we do. Often we are sitting around for a very, very long time, particularly as wildlife photographers, so it's far more important to have uh, materials that trap heat and materials that are robust, that if we're lying on the ground they can withstand uh, crawling over rocks, this sort of thing without being uh, getting torn and, and ruined. So that's just something to keep in mind in this uh, Part 3 of this series i'm not sure yet what we'll talk about in part four i've got a whole list of of of, uh subjects i do want to talk about i'm not quite sure where we're going to move to just as yet on shooting in cold weather but there will be a part four to this uh most definitely as i said i'm heading to iceland in a few days time i am going to have a few days in iceland um both in the Reykjavik area and in the northern part of Iceland before I board the ship. So there may be time to squeeze in one more podcast. We'll just have to see if I get time. I'd love to do it, but I have got plans for doing quite a lot of work while I'm in Iceland. So we'll see how that goes. So that I think that's it for now. We'll wrap it up there. Uh, as I said, I'm Josh. It has been the 20th of August 2022. This was podcast number, I think I said it was 48. Did I say 48 let me just check. I can never remember what podcast number it is. I really should write this down. I always have to go back and check and see, okay, this was podcast number X or podcast number Y. Yeah, podcast number 48. So podcast number 48, I look forward to seeing you out in the field soon. Take care.